Welcome to the Real Estate Woman's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Real Estate Women uh, podcast. I'm Candy. I'm Colleen. I'm Tamara. And I am Crystal. Welcome to our Passive Investing Podcast. Um, in today's episode, we are going to talk about some of the fears you might have as a passive investor when it comes to putting your hard-earned money in a deal. You know, whether it's your first deal or your fifth deal, you know, there's always a risk. And with risk, you know, you always have that fear lingering kind of in the back of your mind. Um, so we want to highlight some of the ways to ensure that you are minimizing your risk as much as possible, of course. Um, one of the key ways we believe doing that is to make sure that that the operator of your deal has the right experience um, to turn something that could be an issue into maybe an opportunity. So in that is why we brought Charlie Peters on for this episode. Hey guys, glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. My voice is a little raspy. I picked up a cold this past week, so hopefully everyone can understand me. Okay. But uh, I sound worse than, uh, than I feel. So I'm feeling pretty good. Good. Yes, you do. Um, yeah, so for the past 26 years, Charlie Peters has been an owner and operator of multifamily properties and office space. Charlie has bought and sold single-family homes, small multifamily properties, larger apartment complexes, and office properties across 10 different states. For the past 18 years, Charlie has been involved in purchasing, repositioning, and reselling 14 apartment complexes and office buildings, in addition to the 11 communities that he currently oversees. Charlie is very involved in giving back to his community and loves the idea of helping investors achieve their financial goals. Charlie, we know you have some great stories to tell. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about what was the first deal that you had that maybe scared you or there were some fears that kind of were invoked in you, um, but you ended up turning it around and, and did okay and made out well? Yeah, so um, just kind of shooting from the hip, <coughs> the, the deal that scared me most was the first deal I ever did just because I'd never done a deal before. So, um, yeah, that was, I was, let's see, I was 25 years old, um, had a broker, you know, I'd, I'd always, um, growing up, I had the benefit of having parents that were older. Uh, they grew up during the, the great depression. So their childhoods, you know, were shaped by this just kind of very difficult economic time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were always really frugal and they kind of passed, uh, they kind of passed that along to me. Uh, it's not always a good thing, but, uh, but uh, growing up, you know, I came out of college and I, I was the guy who had no student loan debt, always had roommates. Uh, I slept in bunk beds uh, with my roommates when, um, when I was in college and uh, I had probably about $10,000 saved up. So uh, I was engaged at the time to my wife of uh, 26 years and um, we, uh, you're just, you're trying to do everything right. And so I'm talking to basically anybody I can and uh, tagged up with my first mentor, who's my older brother. And um, he uh, said, you know, you want to buy, you want to buy a house rather than rent a house. You don't want to make, you know, don't make the landlord wealthy. You want to build wealth for yourself. And so, you know, of course, that, that made sense to me. And so we went out looking for, um, just looking for like little townhouses and I put this little townhouse under contract and then it wound up, it fell through and uh, he came back and said, you know, there's a quadruplex for sale. 
And if you buy this quadruplex, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is cracking. If you buy this quadruplex, you can live in one of the units. And as long as you keep the other three rented out, it should pretty much cover the mortgage payment. And, uh, you know, you won't have any housing expense at 25 years old. And that was a big, I mean, that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. Um, and so, uh, so we wound up buying this quadruplex in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, off of Miccosukee Road in between the two hospitals on the northeast side of town, which is a pretty good area. Yeah. And, uh, but I just remember looking at this thing and all I'd ever had was, you know, up to that point, I was a lifeguard. Um, I bagged groceries. <laughs> I used to throw newspapers when I was 12 years old and I had a bunch of other little odd <laughs> jobs. I've never really done anything, you know, substantive. Minimum wage was $5 and 50 cents an hour back then. Oh, wow. And, um, and I'm signing on this loan for $126,000. And I'm sitting there looking at this going, oh, my gosh, what am I, what am I doing? And, uh, it was, I mean, it was a scary, it was a scary thing. And, you know, going through the bank process and you're in there and they're asking every question you can imagine. I couldn't qualify it for my own. And my dad graciously co-signed on my very first loan for me there. Um, so, yeah, but I was absolutely freaking out. Uh, when I when I bought that very first place, so uh, so yeah, I think it's 100 percent normal. If you've never done it before, if you've never been skydiving before, you're going to be freaking out the first time you do it versus the hundredth time you do it. You know, so um, yeah. That's how that's was your process when you were doing that, Charlie? When you were to get your tenants, since you were so fresh, did your brother help you out with that? He did. He my brother was also my landlord when I was in college. I lived at his. Uh, in his rental house. Yeah. Same thing. We had bunk, bunk, bunk beds set up in the one bedroom. Everybody else in the house had their own bedroom. And I had Jason Combrink was sleeping above me there for, for a couple of years. So, um, so he did help me out. I used his lease, his application. Um, and yeah, and got really, you know, inherited uh, good tenants. You know, I went in and met them all. Before I did a lot more honestly then than I do now. I went in and met each individual mm -hmm. tenant, sat down, said, "I'm going to be your landlord." You know, are you okay with that? Which is, it's just a funny. I would never do that now, but that's a funny. That's a funny little thing. But I remember, yeah, going going and meeting them, and and we were close. I mean, I, I made friends with all the tenants, which is not always something you want to do again there, but uh, but I had the good fortune of having good tenants. So, so yeah, it worked out well. That's awesome that you kind of had that support. So that was a really good way for you. Like you had that fear, but you knew you had, um, you didn't have the experience yet, but you knew you had the experience of people you trusted around you. So I think that's a really, really big thing. If you don't have the experience, you know, use your tribe, use your family, your friends, like ask for help, ask for experience from other people that you know, is just, that's really huge. And that's so awesome that you, uh, you know, house hacking is the that's awesome. That was like my first way of getting into. I'm like, okay, am I going to rent or uh, am I going to live for free? <laughs> but that, that's awesome. That's so great. Um, How did you start from that, Charlie? Did you, did you, from that point on, was that like just that one property gave you the aha moment that real estate was really going to be the way for you? It really, yeah, it did. And I, mean, I, I cut that story short, uh, Crystal. The um, When I say I was freaking out, like I went to my brother and said, I don't feel comfortable oh, doing this. Um and, uh, you know, this is too, too much. I, I'm not borrowing a hundred thousand dollars to go buy this property with. And he, he said, he said, if you ever decide you don't want the property, you let me know and I'll, I'll buy it from you for what you paid for it. Wow. So wow. you don't, you don't have any risk. 
So that and that was a, that was a stand up thing for him to do. It was a big deal, and frankly, he saw the value in it that I couldn't see just because I didn't have that experience. So, um, but yeah, there was when I say I was freaking out. There's a little more to yeah. it. Too, so. That that is definitely big. Yeah. So do you Charlie? still own the property, Charlie? No, I sold it. Uh, we sold it and did a 1031 exchange into the office building that I'm in right now. So um, I did uh, sold that in 2013. So I kept it for a while, 1996 through 2013. Wow. Nice. So Charlie, going back to you saying that um, you wouldn't be like part of the tenant screening process in, you know, to the, in your current situation, um, got kind of going on that, is there anything, any particular things you would stay away from any things associated with any deals that you could share with our listeners to, you know, to guide them? Anything you'd stay away from? Correct. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds. Of, yeah. There's a lot of things you want to stay away from. Throw a dart and pick one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I just run through bad, bad areas, high crime areas. Okay. Uh, be careful of areas that are not growing. Um, I do not like areas unless, you know, you can just Google small town, Pennsylvania and <laughs> population, and it'll show you the population trajectory of any city or town. Uh, in America. And so the ones that are going down, you just want to be careful um, of that. And if they're going down and they're in a bad area, numbers always look great. Those are always the ones where the, you know, the rent multiples are always, mm-hmm. you know, the price relative to where the rent is always sounds really good, but just, yeah, you want to stay away from that stuff. So, so those, those are the main ones that come to mind. Uh, I would, you guys touched on it earlier, but I would be very careful Um to make sure that if you're partnering up with somebody, you have an experienced operator, uh, somebody who's got a track record, you know, who's who's been in the game for a little while, uh, who's done some deals, who just that you have that confidence that you know what they're doing, and more importantly, that they know what they're doing. So, yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's a really good one. I definitely think market is definitely because all the the property can be great and it can be perfect. Everything else can be great. But if it's not in that right area, you know, there's definitely some trouble to be had. Um, So that's great advice. And um, when it comes to things for like a passive investor, did your family and kind of help you out? Do they invest passively? Do you personally invest passively? Uh, And if you do, what are some things that you would say um, some advice that you would give somebody other than of course, like pay attention to the market because there are a lot of people that want to invest passively, but they have that fear. They just don't know. They don't have the experience. So what's the first thing that you would say to someone who's just straight up afraid to lose that like precious nest egg of theirs that they've been saving? Yeah, more in my mind, and you guys may totally disagree with this, and this is the benefit of a panel as you can have a, a lot of different opinions, but I would more important than the deal and, you know, it, any halfway decent deal, you're going to get this very nice presentation on why you should buy the deal, what the deal looks like in the deal and what the deal is going to do. Uh, and, and more importantly than the deal is, is who is the sponsor? Yep. I, I just think that carries so much weight. Um, and so we have done, I have done some passive investments um, with, uh, with some other people. Uh, you, you guys would know the names, um, but <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, have done some passive investments there, and it's just I developed a relationship, felt very comfortable with them and their ability to execute on the business plan. 
Yeah. I'm sure at this and point you probably invest in a lot of your own deals, of course, knowing that you are operating it. So you can you have that investment as well. Um, a little extra skin in the game. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So you, you've built up a relationship with the, the people that you did the passive investing with prior to just looking at the deal itself and did a little deep dive homework, what you're saying with the sponsors by just knowing them. I have never received an email from someone and open it up. And if I didn't know the sponsor, <laughs> literally, it doesn't matter. It doesn't for yeah. me. And this, this point I disagree with, it doesn't matter what the deal is. Yeah. I'm not invested in it if I don't know you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there's two, go watch, go watch a couple of episodes of American greed and you'll see kind of how oh, that works right. out. But, uh, I yeah. Agree. I just, yeah, I just, I just don't. A lot of people do, and probably you'll be okay, you know. But, but mm -hmm. I, I don't. Right. What, what, what can invest, investors expect in communication back and forth? Obviously, I, I, I agree. I, you really want to know your investor to be able to the, you, uh, well, the sponsor. You want to be able to get on the phone and say, "Hey, I haven't heard anything," or "Did I get this email?" Uh, do you, do you find that? your the people that you've chosen as your that you're investing in that you have that communication or and you can you feel like you can just pick up the phone or send shoot them an email and get a quick <clears throat> I do most of um most of my investors are still uh you know I consider friends and family um so I know them I mean I just I know them so they're welcome to call me anytime obviously mm -hmm. um we do monthly updates so people kind of know you know where things stand if if they want to I don't know how many people actually read those emails, but uh, but if you go through and read them, they'll, they'll know kind of where things are. I'm that person yeah. that reads them all. I read all the fine print. I read everything. I'm, I'm always excited to get the email and be like, okay, oh, okay, well, that's doing good. Okay. To know which properties have turned. Like, I I love that. I love the feeling of being informed when, because I know like that's, you know, that I work hard for the money that I put in. So it's for me, I thoroughly enjoy getting those emails personally. <laughs> Right, yeah. right. Do you have um, so in real estate? It, it, any kind of investment is risky. Um, I, real estate it seems like it feels like it's a a, a less risk uh, asset, but there's risk involved. Right. Do you have properties and experiences that you've had with properties where everything is going well, and then there was just some some kind of turn, whether it would be suddenly you found in the due diligence something wasn't really found in the due diligence once you closed on the property. And you're having to do extra work and it might be affecting the investor's money or you were able to turn that property around and actually get more for your investors. That was like like a wonderful bonus surprise. Yeah, you're covering a lot of ground there. Um, <laughs> the good, so the bad, and the ugly come to mind. <laughs> Let me, uh, I'm not sure if you asked this question, but what I, <laughs> what, what I, what I heard, what I heard is give me an example of something where things did not go well, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got, you know, I, so we do a couple of different things. We do multifamily, uh, value add investing, which is probably my bread and butter. Uh, we still, I still flip houses. I've got a house flipping business, so we'll flip probably 12 houses this year. Um, we have off, we're in the office market. So I do office properties as well. Um, and then we do land development. Um, 
and multifamily value add properties should be very boringly predictable. Right? <laughs> and which is good because you, you have that, uh, there, sh there should be a, um, a high degree of certainty over what's going to happen unless you, you know, you have some nine 11 moment or something like that. That's, right. that's kind of a fluke, but, uh, but on our land development stuff, uh, that ooh, that's all over the place. So you never, you just don't know what's going to, you don't know what's going to happen. So, um, so yeah, we were working on a land development parcel, um, in, uh, in central Florida, uh, just south of, uh, just south of Orlando. Um, is this the Narcusi Road one? Narcu it's on Narcusi Road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, met with the county, um, and, uh, everything's good. They liked our site plan. And I mean, this was nice. It's a class, a, brand new development, gorgeous. Um, and then we go in and just get, we had a couple of community meetings and we critique some stuff, change some stuff up based on input from the community. Uh, the last step there is to go in for final approval um, through the uh, city commission. And, and that's an open meeting. And all these people show up with all these signatures wow. saying, we don't want this new development. We don't want apartments in our community. <laughs> And they were getting ready to vote it down. And this was a, it's called a PUD, which is a planned unit yeah. development um, with the state of Florida, which requires approval from the state of Florida. And if your PUD gets voted down at this meeting, there's a two year wait limit. Uh, um, I'm sorry, there's a two year wait. Right, right. You gotta wait two years before you can resubmit it. Wow. So um, uh, we wound up pulling our application and didn't didn't apply like at the meeting, but man, these people were like, it's funny. They show up and they are upset and they don't have any interest at all. They don't own anything, but they're whatever, you know, people who live there and they just have, they got votes is what they've got. Yeah. And, um, and so we pulled that thing. I've still got it. It was under contract to be sold two years ago. I've still got it. We're sitting on it yeah. and it stinks, but, um, <laughs> but we're, we're trying to, uh, trying to unload it. We just got a new letter of intent. And I think we're about to sign a new contract for it. So, I'm hopeful that'll work out, but that was, uh, we should, we should have been out of this thing a long time ago. So that is not, that one is not going well. So. That's, that's funny. Cause like, that's such a sought after area. I actually was like this close to moving to a development out there that was, is being built right on Narcusi road. It's all like really outdoorsy and like, that's such an amazing, amazing area. So I'm sure that will definitely turn around for you, but it definitely seems like, um, in your experience and opinion, working in all these different asset classes, if you had to kind of advise somebody who said, okay, you work in all these asset classes, what is kind of the least risky of them all? And I'm assuming since you said that value add multifamilies being your bread and butter and kind of the boring one, is that kind of your opinion on it or with your experience? 100%. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. That, that's good to know. Yes, I know that's always a question like, you know, there's real estate <laughs> and there's passive investing, but there's so many ways there's storage units. There's just so many asset classes and it's, it's tough for people to break it down. So that's definitely a good step one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we right now, there's always just this ancillary stuff going on the, in the economy. You don't have any control over, you know, interest rates are going up right now. <laughs> um, we just came out of COVID and uh, office properties in Tallahassee are not doing, not doing well. There's a high <laughs> vacancy rate right now. Um, and so when we have, uh, when one of our office spaces comes up, uh, I mean, it's not uncommon. It'll sit, it's hard, it's harder okay. to find, 
you know, a, a tenant for a 3000 square foot office space yeah. than it is for, you know, a two bedroom apartment. There's a million people out there looking for a two bedroom apartment, but there's a smaller amount mm -hmm. that are looking for that office. Yeah. So yeah, do you think that office space is going to rebound at some time or you think that it's going to have to be changed to something else? Uh, it will. It's it, there is uh, the others yeah, a push. Uh, every city, you know, there. Um, every I say every city. Uh, I would say most cities. There's probably a push to repurpose a lot of that office property, uh, especially if you have higher vacancy rates, like we do in Tallahassee. And so they'll, they'll turn it into something else, and then eventually it'll balance out. There's a bottom there somewhere, but um, but yeah, the work from home. Yeah phenomenon was kind of already actually underway before COVID. Yeah. And COVID just hit the gas on that. So, uh, yeah. And that's still the, the full effects of that are still to be seen. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But I mean, eventually all office will be desirable again at some point. I'm <laughs> so, yeah. If someone were coming in Charlie to passive investing for the first time uh, for in, in, in the real estate realm, would you suggest that they kind of narrow in on that niche, like the value add, go to something that's a little bit more on the, the, the <coughs> side, uh, mobile home parks or whatever it is to, to choose one niche and learn about it, or just talk to everyone around you that, that's getting involved to, to kind of get a feel for like um, where they are? How would you suggest somebody coming in brand new, like where to choose to go? Yeah. So if I'm a brand new, um, if I'm a brand new investor, you know, again, the whole, the whole big pitch, the big sale on, right. on, on real estate investing is it should be really predictable. I mean, you, you got a unit right here that's, you know, two bedroom, one bath and 900 square feet. And then right up the street, there's another unit that's two bedroom, one bath, 900 square feet. And it's written for, thousand dollars a month and the one you're looking at on average is six hundred dollars a month mm -hmm. that's that's really all you look for it's not <laughs> it's not a not a real hard thing so you know you should be renting these for around a thousand there's no reason these couldn't rent for a thousand dollars a month as well and so you know you you make some cosmetic improvements mm -hmm. and you put people in there and that is again it is boringly predictable <laughs> what should happen versus a piece of land or an office building or an industrial site or certainly, you know, stock in Walmart. I have no idea what Walmart's quarter is going to look next year. So, so if you're an investor, I would say unless you want, unless you want to take a gamble, and you can earn some higher returns with, uh, you know, like with the land development, you can you can earn some higher returns, mm -hmm. but you <laughs> you got to be okay accepting a much greater, a much higher downside risk just because it's just there. There's so, so many different variables. So yeah, I would, I would, right. 100%, I would steer yeah. people towards value add, multifamily investing, not brand new, beautiful class A properties. Mm -hmm. um, but you you want, uh, you know, class, class C. And when I say class C, just kind of tired, you know, built in the 1980s, workforce housing, uh, ideally that hadn't been updated, that's in a good area. And I just, I think it's hard to screw that up. So that's, um, that that's in terms of safety. And if you're a new investor, that's the best asset class. Nice. And I, I know definitely safety is a big concern on everybody's mind because with, uh, 
you know, just what interest rates are doing right now. A lot of people that like are excited about investing in real estate with like people are not even buying houses right now. Like def things are starting to sit, especially in comp comparison to what it was. Um, so do you think that, you know, the possibility of something like um, some kind of, no, I wouldn't say straight up depression, but something to that effect. Do you think, what do you think that will do for something even as stable as multifamily? Um do you think that that's going to increase because, you know, people are going to be buying less homes, renting more? Um, or do you think that it's it's going to change the game a little bit for multifamily? Uh, I do think it's going to change the game a little bit for multifamily. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the higher, you know, there's a cost of capital yeah. that's <laughs> darn near almost been ignored for like the last uh, 10 years, maybe just because mm -hmm. interest rates have been so low from a historical standpoint. So we're actually, we're just getting back to where interest rates have kind of historically been. Um, mm -hmm. And I heard yesterday on CNBC that uh, interest rates on mortgages for residential loans are at a 22 year high right now. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty, I mean, it's a big, it's a big shift that we're going through here right now. So um, I do think as long as inflation is, um, is out there kind of roaring. Uh, you're going to continue to see rents climb higher as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not super worried about it from a cash flow standpoint, but um, but ultimately, you know, apartment complex is valued on some multiple of whatever the, the net income is, whatever the profit is mm -hmm. for that apartment complex. Yeah. And so if interest rates are higher, that's going to bring that's going to bring the value down. I, I think what you said right there was key, the fact that rents keep pace with inflation, because with this inflation climbing, capital is a little bit more expensive, a little bit harder, a little, you pay a little bit more to get that loan. But with the rents going up as much as they are with inflation, you know, that really does level things out. So I think that's um, something that kind of a lot of people that are looking into it have that fear. I think that's one thing they could do is do their research on inflation. What do rents do with inflation? And um yeah, I think that's definitely something can help. Thanks for touching on that. That's really a big thing to look for. Yeah, hundred percent. And I can tell you, you know, we do. I do some. <laughs> I invest in the stock market as well. Uh, I have gotten crushed <laughs> this year, um, but uh, but it, you know, again, if you buy stock in Walmart, there is absolutely nothing you can do to make the value of that stock go up. And right. if you buy a broken down old apartment complex, there's literally a thousand things you can do to increase the value of it. So uh, sure. there's so much more control there that you have versus, um, you know, versus buying stocks or hedge funds or, or mutual funds or whatever there. So, so yeah, that, that's one of the other things I like about real estate. Even with single family, that was the one thing that I was in awe of when I started getting to multifamily, the being able to force the value. Like at first I didn't understand that because just with single family, it's based upon relatively what the houses are selling around you. And also you, you can put a lot of money into your own house, but if the houses around you aren't selling, you just kind of put more money into a house that really isn't going to sell for all the money that you put in it. And that's one thing I, I see over and over again when I, when I was doing more of the single family purchasing from direct to seller, um, that people didn't understand that <laughs> it was beautiful to learn that in multifamily that you can create, you can force that value. And um, obviously within reason, based upon what you described before with the area surrounding what the rents are, 
one thing I wanted to touch on about those rents, because I know that you can put, you can make a property look really good on numbers, but you also, like you were talking about the demographics with inflation going up, you know, obviously you were saying the rents go up, but then at a certain point, um, people's wages don't go up to mm -hmm. as the same rate as inflation. So how do you, when you're looking at a property and you're looking to evaluate it, how do you take that in consideration in the area? Do you look at the, the, the actual businesses and, and like their history of like payment? Like, how do you work with that and thinking about how far can we bump these rents without actually having people leave the town or leave your partner building? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it, if this gets bad enough, um, I mean, it could be bad, you know, for, for real estate. I, I went through the, uh, I went through the great recession. We owned uh, apartment communities uh, in 2008 uh, when everything blew up. And um, there was an interesting little phenomenon that happened where you could take a healthy house. Tallahassee is the state capital of the fastest growing state in the USA. And that's where mm -hmm. I live. Um, and uh, so it's a very healthy market. Um, and in a very healthy market, you probably get about 95% occupancy. I talk with my hands a lot. Sorry about that. But it's uh, anyway, you got, you got a nice high uh, occupancy rate. So 95% occupancy is, is a healthy market. <clears throat> and there was an interesting thing that happened, which is the number of people per household mm. increased from about 2.2 to 2.4 in okay. Tallahassee. Right. And that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like a big deal. Yeah, two point two to two point four. Okay, you know what's next? But but you think about that for a second. Two point two to two point four. That's a ten percent swing. So if you got a ninety five percent occupancy rate, and the uh, the the people per household goes from two point two to two point four, you're dropping by ten percent. So now you're going from ninety five percent to eighty five percent. And so the occupancy rate in Tallahassee are the the vacancy rate shot up uh, big time during the uh, during the recession there, and it was hard. It was a lot harder to rent apartments, and we're doing you know one month free you know specials, and and again, this is a very stable uh, local economy, um, but it was tough, and it'll be more challenging. Um, you want to get to your point though, Candy. You know if you can get closer to recession proof industries, um, mm -hmm. state governments are great. Okay. So you can mine the state capital of a, uh, of a town, uh, hospitals, you know, typically don't lay off workers. They're almost always needing nurses. Um, and so they're not laying off people. So, so anything that's, uh, universities, same kind of thing, people actually enrollment increases during recessions, mm -hmm. um, because people go back to school. They can't, right. uh, they lose their job. They decide to go back to school and level up on their education. Um, so there are things you can do to, um, to kind of be more sensitive to that, I would say, um, tourism related, you know, markets may be a little, little, little more shaky than, mm -hmm. um, than some other markets here. So yeah, that's, um, those are all things to consider a lot, a lot of stuff to take. Yeah. That's, that's another great piece of advice. Really pay attention, not just the, the market, but what's the jobs around there. So when you're looking to invest, pay close attention to that, especially moving forward uh, with what we have, what could be coming up. So that makes sense. And, you know, it's funny. I never really, you know, you always see when you're kind of doing some back end work, looking at deals and you see the those little rates and the, 
I've never given enough weight to the 2.2 to the 2.4. But when you put it that way, you know, that is 10%. That's a big difference um, because, you know, people in that time needed that extra person's income to pay the bills, to pay the rent. So people yeah. were moving in together. And I definitely never gave that enough weight, those little numbers. So thanks for, thanks for touching on that. Yeah, that's a big deal. Definitely. Or it was back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I keep hearing from you is that like the importance of learning to pivot, like to, you know, keep analysis on your property and like, just keep things going like the you saying giving the one month rent or, you know, just to keep the property flowing and going. So that was a really good. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. You, you better be what we talk about is we have, we have a plan a every property we buy, we have a plan a, and that's the business plan uh, for that property. And then there's always a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. Uh, and there's usually three or four. And again, the higher risk the deal, the more important it is to kind of have those reinforcement plans in place to make sure um, that if things don't go well, you got a backup plan in place because you don't want to get you know caught with your pants down with um, when plan A falls apart. So yeah, very important to do that, 100%. Well, I think that's why we love real estate. It's because like you said, you can't control Walmart. But the, uh, an asset, you have so many plans and so many different ways that you can go with something and still have it be, you know, a good investment. Definitely so. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of things you can do. 100%. Control is definitely key. If you can have some control over it, that definitely mitigates the risk. And that's that's one of the things I think I took most about. I, I love Robert Kiyosaki and his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like, I absolutely love it. And that's one thing he really talks a lot about is being able to have the control over your investment is just huge. So that's that's definitely something awesome. And if you aren't ready to buy that huge multifamily yourself, make sure you truly trust the person who has the control. So I think that all just loops right back around to the knowing the person and that's running the deal, mm -hmm. the sponsor, having that faith and trust in them because that's where the control lies. So that's that's big. Well said, well said. Yes, ma'am, definitely so. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. How many people on your team do you usually have on a property that you create these business plans? Uh, it, it just, it varies on the property. Um, so yeah, if, if small property is usually just me, um, if it's, um, and then going up, it'll be me and one other person. And then, um, as it gets bigger and bigger into, into larger, uh, larger properties. I'm trying to think our last deal we closed on, we had one, two, uh, five GPs. G GPs is general partners, uh, where each person is actively managing limited partners, put cash in general partners, uh, are responsible for execution. So we <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been great. You know, you gave us so much awesome stuff, um, a lot of great things. So we, we really appreciate all of your experience and your advice and uh, your stories are great. <laughs> yeah, no, this was fun. I feel like I'm on an episode of The View. You guys are awesome. <laughs> well, Thank there's no copycats per se, but yes, it's the round table <laughs> discussion that we love to have around the industry we love it's you know multifamily investing so so charlie if our listeners would like to learn more about you where can they reach you 
Yeah, so my website is my my uh, my brand is Alliance Capital Partners. Website is AllianceCapitalPartners.net. Um, you can find us on Facebook uh, and my website are probably the two best ways to reach out, but just click on the contact us tab. And uh, yeah, we'd love to love to connect with anyone out there who'd be interested in, in uh, connecting. Awesome. And we really appreciate you being here. And um, we like to um, end each podcast with a thought provoking um, quote of the day. And I have three cards here. So you get to pick one, one through three. Ooh, uh, Ooh, two. Yeah. Go with two. Number <laughs> two. Okay. So number two is being aware of your fear is smart, but overcoming it is a mark of a successful person by Seth Gordon. Wow. Very so good. Bubble, Very good. What bubbles up? What bubbles up for you, Charlie? What bubbles up for me when I hear that quote? Yeah. <clears throat> Can you read it one, read it one more time? So being aware of your fear is, is smart, you know, like being aware of it, but overcoming it is like a mark is even more of a mark of a successful person. Yeah. Um, there's a, I'll, uh, what bubbles up is another quote that basically says the same thing, which is, which is that, uh, you guys know Rod Cleef, but he has a thing that he puts up that says the enemy of success is a comfort zone. And so, uh, you want to, you don't want to be dumb, right? You don't want to step out the road in front of a semi because, <laughs> because you're trying to overcome your fear, but at the same time, you can't. Good analogy. Yeah, right. yeah, you don't want to be dumb, but you can't let fear paralyze you. And so as that relates to, you know, to multifamily investing, uh, there are so many just great people in this industry who have these long track records of doing amazing things. And, you know, it's just, I've never had an investor lose money in 26 years. Awesome. And so I'll be darned if that's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, things, things don't always go, right. you know, I, you know, we may be on the precipice of a great recession um, that may be happening right now. And, um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I will go down swinging, you know, if, if it does. And so uh, I would like to think that, that I'm a good bet. And there are lots of, uh, lots of good guys and young ladies out there um, that I would have full confidence in. Uh, and again, much more so than the stinking stock market. So that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's where I see kind of the main competition with, uh, with real estate. I have guys from Merrill Lynch that are financial planners that are my LPs. <laughs> so where, where do they, where do they put their money? You know, that's just, that's just funny. So yeah. anyway, get a little off track there, but yeah, don't let, don't let fear hold you back is, is the main takeaway there. I, I think that's a great take on it for sure. Sorry, Candy, go ahead. You know, when I think about fear, I mean, obviously fear, we naturally feel it because it is healthy. You step in front of a semi, you see it coming, fear kicks in. Hopefully you jump out of the way <laughs> not to put yourself in that position. But fear is also, it can be a really good indicator. And when we are connecting with our fear, we know where it's coming from. Is this something that's life threatening or is this something new? And I don't know the outcome. So I love the advice that you gave about going with something, you know, that you feel comfortable with. And we, you touched on earlier about the higher the, the 
the returns in real estate usually tends to be the higher the risk. So rather than going with something with a higher risk that's going to create that fear and discomfort of anxiety, um, as an example, go with something that is a bit more secure, like you were saying, that's or it's like the boring aspect of the value out of multifamily. And then as you get your feet in the water and understand that feeling of the fear around moving to the next investment, then you can just go gradually. You don't have to just dump into the di- jump into the dive in uh, the deep end and not know how to swim. Right. Well said. I probably shouldn't have said boring. Predictable is the word <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> no, it's well good. But, yeah. it's boring. Boring sometimes <laughs> is good, particularly when it comes to investments. I mean, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that well, definitely speaks to how often you do it. You know what I mean? It's some, it's so second nature to you that it, multifamily value add is just for you it probably became boring because you've gotten so good at it and you you can pivot and it doesn't feel like a big hassle it doesn't feel like a big change because you're like okay i've seen this three times uh no big deal let's do this i have plan abc ready to go so i i don't think it's bad that you said boring i just think it speaks to the experience that you have or some predictable might be a way to hear it but i, I like i enjoyed boring <laughs> yeah that's for sure. Oh. Well, I'm a boring, that, what, that word come, bubbles up to me is that if you have a fear surrounding investing, <laughs> it's better to be, to be boring than to be the, you know, the, the flash and the frill and that where you feel like you're being scammed or sold some, a bill of goods that isn't true. So, you know, it, it really does circumference the fact that you shouldn't be fearful, especially when you have an underlying asset and people need a place to live. So... Yeah. No, I agree. And definitely, I think more people have fear as that beginner's thing, especially even like you said, Charlie, buying your first fourplex was very fearful because you'd never done it before. But I think, you know, getting in and learning about it and having a good mentor or friend or family in your case um, kind of helped you to overcome that fear. And I mean, look at you now. You went from a fourplex to, well, you own quite a few things. So you've (laughs) definitely climbed that ladder and overcome your fears. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely so. Yeah. yeah. And I think that I think that the quote too also like really marks like <laughs> the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person because a per- a successful person has a fear. They're not just going to accept that fear as a limitation. They're going to take it, they're going to look at it, they're going to dig deeper into it. Why am I afraid of this? What can I do to become less afraid? How can I make this less scary for me? So I think that's definitely a big thing that a person that is totally driven to succeed will do They'll, they just won't be like mm, i'm scared it's my limitation you know what i mean so i think that's uh i think i think this was that was a great quote and um you know unfortunately we are running out of time and charlie we really really enjoyed chatting with you your stories were awesome we really appreciated your experience and all of that stuff just the different ways to pivot the priorities of having that a b and c plan um the you know different ways to turn a deal around some of the safer options even within real even within real estate on a whole so your insight was really awesome so we really appreciate that very much yeah this was great, guys. Thanks again for having me. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So, so there, that's good. That's a totally an open uh, invitation for another email. <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you so much. We also just want to say thanks to you guys, our listeners out there. Thanks for joining us at our roundtable today. Um, please tune into our next episode to get some more great info for some of our amazing guests um, on different things that you know you. It's really good to know when you are looking to invest passively. Um, remember, you can always check us, the Real Estate Women, out on Instagram, Facebook. Watch. Um, our episodes on YouTube, or of course, visit our website at therealestatewoman.com. So thank you guys. Thanks again, Charlie. Ladies, this has been awesome. And thanks so much, listeners. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.